0: Hello, and welcome to Teaching, Learning, and Everything Else, a series of conversations with innovative educators at colleges and universities across the country and around the world.
1: This podcast is produced by faculty and staff in the Center for the Advancement of Teaching and Faculty Development at Xavier University of Louisiana.
0: And now, let's talk about Teaching, Learning, and Everything Else. I'm Bart Everson. You're tuning in to part two of my conversation with Dr. Pamela Waldron-Moore of Xavier University of Louisiana. Just to recap quickly, in part one we talked about all these transitions that humanity is facing at a global level, particularly as it relates to the climate crisis and all the attendant changes are coming along with that, there's the idea that we have to get our economy and our societies on a new kind of footing going forward. And how can that be done in a just fashion? I think Dr. Walter Moore did a great job of sketching out the big issues at play here when I asked her my final question, how do you teach that? She had quite a bit more to say. So let's listen in.
1: Well, glad you asked. Because <laughs> I like to think that teachers are the key to all the problems in the world. I like to think because yeah. education is the key. And once people know what it is that is expected of them, what it is they need to know. As long as the whole picture is available to everybody, there's an opportunity for heads to come together and people to say, okay, you know, the the United Nations was created to sort of supplement or simulate, if you like, a world government. And so the idea is all these people come together and talk about it. Well, I'm fortunate i am a practitioner of politics as well as an instructor in political science and one of my posts in my other life before i came into academia was that i was um, a diplomatic officer for my country and i worked at the united nations now working at the united nations representing my country meant engaging in all of these conversations with all of these other nations about the issues that matter to everybody. And so I've got a handle, I think, on how communication can enable us all as human beings to hear and understand what each other is saying. But when you add to that, being in a classroom and having um, certain courses to teach wanting to teach certain courses you figure out ways of using your pedagogical skills and tools to get the message of all that is important to everybody across within your discipline because these disciplines are just as interrelated as human beings are even though they are separate in their own ways so for example in political science i teach international relations comparative politics international political economy and all of that well I understand that students don't like to read. That's the first um, thing that you have to notice in 2021. <laughs> students don't want to read. You tell me quickly, you sing me a song with the with the important things in it. I'm going to remember that and learn from it, you know? You r- do a rap and I'm, I'm okay. You engage me in a conversation and I'm going to try talking about things off the top of my head. So I use those platforms to have students talking to each other, because you can always introduce students to an idea. Climate change is a huge idea. It's an idea that has all kinds of value judgments, all kinds of different ways of understanding it, different perceptions of what aspect of climate change bothers us. And so in my international relations class, for example, I ensure that students adopt a country They adopt a country that they don't know anything about. This not only exposes them to understanding what is going on in the other country, um, but it also gets them to understand what their country, what kind of interaction does their country have with these other countries or the other country that they have chosen. Then I put a layer on that that says, we have a theme here that we're going to look at because we don't want you to know every single thing about the country. You know, Let us narrow it down to a theme. So if my theme is climate change, or my theme is trade, or my theme is um, environmental protection, or my theme is security, and we talk about threat, threats to national borders and so forth, for any theme I can choose, There is the opportunity for a student to research what another country is looking at and thinking about in relation to the single theme. So when we have the conversation, when we come together at the end of the semester, whichever portion is allotted, we have the entire semester to keep, you know, doing our research. But when we come together at the end of the semester, each country, adopted country, We'll have a leader that speaks for that country and identifies their difficulty with the theme. So let's say we have a forum. um, We have a, it's a mock forum, it's a simulation project. And we're gonna look at the um, United Nations Environmental Program. We know what are the goals of the United Nations Environmental Program. And we wanna see how each country addresses these problems. What are their issues? can they or can they not achieve the goals set by the the the, the body united nations um and what are the difficulties how can the other countries help so we want to know what your issues are how you're understanding the, the topic of uh, environment climate whichever topic theme you want to put in there related to whatever you're studying and then we want you to tell us what are your challenges How have you tried to meet those challenges? What do you need to help you to complete a search for a solution to that challenge? And then each country is going to have their period of time. And I'm basing this off of my own experience at the United Nations, because that's what they do. And at the end of the session, at the end of the semester, everybody knows that country X is experience in this, this is the kind of help country X would need to make this happen, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's um, um, landscaping to deal with a, with a climate that is changing, whether it is irrigation, the use of water, what does water mean? whether it's air quality and why the air quality is assessed, whether it's the, um, the, the, the company, the firm, the factory, that is situated in a poor neighborhood and are not paying attention to the the, the emission standards, etc., that would keep those people living in the area healthy? And how can that be addressed? And so forth. So we get that out there. This is their research. This is what they're going to be graded on. And the one thing that will make a student work is the idea of getting a good grade. And they don't want to sound silly, you know. So they get up there. And this is how I find they even introduce other courses that they're taking into the mix. So the person might bring in something he's learned in economics or business, which tells me there's a connection between business, you know, you talk about the industrialization, you talk about finance, you're talking about microfinancing banks and all of that. You can bring that into the conversation. This is a problem that Chad is having or Chad is willing to pay to, to hire those ships that were floating along the, the ocean with waste that nobody would accept. But Chad is desperate enough to say, I'm going to buy that. I'm going to take it here. And I'm going. we're going to take care of it because we have to find a way to survive. We don't have much else. Putting themselves at risk, but certainly relieving the guilt, if you like, of those countries that have created so much waste, they don't have any way to dispose of it locally. So they have these, these floating um, uh, vessels that move in until some state says, yes, we'll be willing to um, take this and process it and see what we can salvage from it and so forth, exposing themselves to risk. And we've seen China and other countries do that until they've reached a stage now where they're healthy enough to be creating the waste themselves. You know, there was a point in time when they would buy waste and have had their women um, hurting their eyes, trying to get all those little microchips from um, tossed out computers and so forth, because they couldn't just be disposed anywhere. They had to be sensibly, um, responsibly disposed of. And so that was a strategy. But coming back to the teaching, so along this line, we're talking to students about, you know, all kinds of related issues within the course. We're talking about international interactions. So here you can talk about the earth and human beings and what human beings should expect from other human beings. We talk about spirituality. We talk about which countries would feel this way. We talk about race relations. We talk about justice from that perspective. All of these things come together at the end of a semester in one course, and we have a student who might come and introduce the topic. Um, let's say again, he's chosen Senegal or Chad or somewhere. He introduces the conversation in French because we have mm. exposed. We have a general education program that exposes them to language, right? It used to be required, but yeah. now it's, it's still there. Students still take those courses. And so they feel complete. They're getting an education. They're able to practice their education. But at the same time, we know that they are learning about those major issues that are the problem issues all across the globe. Climate change being an important one, not the only one, right? because we do have things like gender equality that is huge. But again, we can link that with climate change. The fact that women don't get to participate in the conversation about climate change. So in our women's studies classes, climate change can still be a topic of conversation because why are they not sitting at the table? Why are there so many um, government leaders who aren't women, and who are not making the right choices that women would make. Because women take into consideration things like budgeting, like things like, um, you know, maybe call it being frugal, but thinking about nature, about the food you eat, about the plants you grow, and and how that interacts with the soil and so forth. Um, So getting women to the table is an important climate conversation. And one of the UN's 17 goals for sustainable development across countries. So in political science, we have, when we talk about public policy class, we can use questions about paying for um, climate infrastructure. How do we do things? What do we recommend to our politicians that they haven't perhaps thought about? I also teach um, quantitative analysis or methodology, research methods. But nothing is more helpful to a student than to have a research methods topic related to the climate. We talk about environmental threat. Where do people perceive threats coming from? Is it only from storms and other catastrophes? Is it coming from national security and migration that crosses the borders and becomes inequitable because you know, we might have a, a government that says we're going to ban all foreigners because they're terrible people. But we're also going to have others, and students might argue this, why ban, why ban people from entering the border? Find other ways to make the security of the border recognize the interaction and change that must come from, you know, other people visiting about the, the, the shared cultures, what they might bring to the conversation might be something we've never thought about. So why not learn from these different cultures? That is one way to ensure holistically the security of of a country. But then you go, you have other disciplines, you have philosophy that talks about justice, that talks about um, bias and implicit bias and how we can correct. You see, I believe that once you know then you can do. And so teaching becomes this this great, education becomes this great program of unlocking the knowledge that people need to have because once they have that knowledge, whether it's about how to address other people using a foreign language, whether it is about mathematics and understanding quantitative literacy, how you can actually make predictions based on, on, Um, quantitative methodology. I mean, I do it in class all the time. We might come up with the idea that, um, let's say race, gender, um, class, um, some issue that is salient to the whole thing might have an impact on, um, these are human behaviors that might change uh, ways we think about the climate. How can we introduce policies to our representatives? to say to them, okay, you know, if you do such and such and such, this would make a change. I know we looked at, um, recently we looked at um, infant mortality and the, the terrible impact that public health issue was having on um, people's ability to, to service the environment. Because if you have people dying at childbirth, the impact it has on the life of the, of the parent and the mother, the ability of people to work, the idea of employment. You talk about um, areas that need infrastructural change. But who's going to do it if you have major healthcare issues that don't render your, your populations strong enough you know, to take certain kinds of action? Um, the COVID environment taught us a whole lot of stuff that can be done in a public health class that relates to the environment. We talk about built community, we talk about the fact that people can't get from um, their homes to their workplaces because they don't have transportation. Why is that just, why is it possible that people cannot be employed because they can't even get to the place of employment? In a, in, a, in a catastrophe, in a situation like a, a, a global pandemic. All of those things are connected to climate interaction, to climate justice, to climate change. And they can be incorporated in engineering. When we talk about rebuilding spaces in a, in a way different from the way they were done before, that's one of the transitions we got to think about. How can we create buildings that can sway in an earthquake Hmm. rather than collapse totally. You know, I'm looking at Haiti and trying to figure out why is it 2010, an earthquake? And we still have the challenge. Now, the challenge doesn't necessarily come to just rebuilding, but the challenge comes when you look around in an environment where you see so many people who just can't get back on their feet. Now, we promote Study Abroad, again, another teaching platform. Study Abroad, you can travel using whatever um, funds you're using to come to Xavier to another place, and you can learn a little bit more about how things are there because their issues are no different from their issues here. But that understanding creates another opportunity for learning about things that you may not have taken too seriously, and learning about th- this country's contribution to the problem. Not only learning about what another country should be doing, but learning about this, their own country's um, contribution to the problem. Helping them to see the world and the integratedness of, 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 of people and so forth. Um, entrepreneurship. You know, we've all done things the same old way. Well, you know what that transition means? That you have to start thinking of different ways to do things. Social entrepreneurship. We have countries across the globe who have done things in an indigenous way that has then been co-opted by others. I'll give you an example. In Ghana, West Africa. There is uh, uh, the cocoa pod that grows almost wild. I mean, it just grows. It's it's abundantly found everywhere. The cocoa pods fall to the ground. Now, the, the locals usually eat the cocoa pods. They make tea, they make cocoa. You know, they use it. But they don't use it in a way that allows them to participate in the global marketplace by themselves. All it took was a few entrepreneurs to go in and say, hey, we're going to buy your cocoa, the, the raw material, and then we're going to manufacture it because there's a product that it can make that the whole, everybody in the world loves, chocolate. Now, as far as the Ghanaians are concerned, they're going to sell the cocoa. They can't keep it, right? It, it, is not, um, it doesn't last forever, but they can get it sold in a period of time. It can be manufactured into this wonderful varieties of of chocolate. And then guess what? They've earned very little for selling it, but they want to eat it. They want to eat it from a different perspective. So they want Mm -hmm. to go now. They have to buy it back to eat it. Now, are they going to pay the same tuppence that they have sold it for? No. They're going to pay... A pound. I mean, I'm just speaking in relative terms and so forth. So, again, we're looking at injustice here. We're looking at exploitation. But people are saying, we're not doing anything wrong. They agree to sell it. They agree to sell it. Because they don't have the same bargaining skills and so forth. And when they do acquire those skills, as anybody in business will tell you, then the pro- another problem arises, the competition between all of the, the developing countries. Because if you, as Ghana, say, oh, I'm not selling my cocoa pot to you anymore because you make so much more on it than I do, then they say, okay, no problem. We have some other country or two or three other countries just willing to do the same thing. And they will take even less You know why? Because they're desperate. And then you feel, okay. I can't say anything because if I say anything, I'm going to lose and somebody else will gain. There is no equity in any of this. But the best thing to do is make sure that when we're teaching um, entrepreneurship, we talk to people about using what you have. I remember my country was um, made fun of in the Caribbean. Because my prime minister had this thing about, I am not going to have television in this country. Right? Because oh, wow. he said, no, until you folks at home are ready to create your own shows, your own programs, etc. Having television means that uh, we have to buy programs from overseas. And they're happy to sell. They have all kinds of packets. But you know what they're selling to you? They're selling you an American culture. Or a British culture, whoever you buy from, they're not selling you what is yours. They're selling you their products. And then you lose sight of who you are, what your culture is. You're not. So you, unless you're willing to develop um, programs, classes, exercises, whatever, that your folks are going to learn something from it and use their indigenous culture, their indigenous skills, their tools to create it, then you are not gaining from this exchange. And that is, that is um, the approach I take when I teach classes. I give you the tools to do research methodology using statistical software and so forth, but I want you to study them in relation to the, the things that matter to you and your future and what you think your future is going to be. So if you're going to go to grad school, you're probably going to study a different set of stuff. But if you're going to go to law school, you tell me you want to go to law school? So let us look at the environmental law. Let us look at the things that environmental lawyers might engage in. Let us talk about bargaining, about uh, oil spills, uh, about mishaps and so forth. Let us Think and understand it in that way. Because if it relates to you, then you're skilled and you're ready and you're tooled to go on to the next level and pass it on. Because you're going to be teaching others and whether it's a law review paper you're writing. And that's the other thing. Research, research, research. Publish, publish, publish. So I love the fact that Xavier's Zulu Nexus program is an opportunity for me. I offer that as a it might be a bribe from my perspective, What is a challenge. I said the three best papers are going to be polished and prepared for publication in Zulanexus. And if students care about that, they try to get their papers to be um, so well. You know, when the whole project started with Zulanexus and so forth, I was right there with, um, well, he's not here any longer, men He was... Um, um, teaching biology, a program in biology, and Gary Donelson, and my mm-hmm. former chair, uh, William Serban. I don't know if you met, Will. Bill. Sure. Yeah. But we, and the only papers that came out in those first few sessions came out of political science. It came out of my research mm-hmm. methods classes, because other classes were just, other um, programs on campus were just not ready to embrace topics that can then be incorporated into that. But it grew to the point where the first conference we attended um, was a conf- an environmental conference in the city. It was the Race, Class, and Justice Project. And they had students from a school in San Francisco. And our students had used, I had used service learning as an opportunity for a student to collect information on the environment. So they went to Agriculture Street um, the landfill, and interviewed individuals to figure out, you know, what were some of the issues they were facing. The, the topic was environmental threat. How do you perceive threat? You perceive threat if you are from poor communities, if you're health, if you recognize health hazard, health hazards um, as part of what the the communities were giving out. So they discovered things about the landfill that might've been good for the business places in the city, but were unhealthy for the people in low-income areas where these houses were built, and upheld as always providing housing for these low-income communities. But they're on a landfill, and most of the toxic waste have been dumped there to fill them up, and then they cover them with about two feet of topsoil. And so when the dogs are playing and digging up holes, and when the children are playing in the earth, and when they're planting and replanting um vegetables or what have you, they felt the strain. One of the things that happened was that Shintech was, was um sued. Um the company. It was sued for creating the harm where dogs were 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 dying of cancer. I remember a couple of cases with um um men having being diagnosed with breast cancer because of the hmm. of the you know, the tissues that were affected. And we had, I mean, so they learn through all of these different channels. So any class can do service learning. History can do um, the history of a lot of things. They can do oral narratives where they go into communities and learn about what people are experiencing. Climate change is one of those um, topics that every single discipline in most liberal arts institutions, especially in those gen ed programs where you have, like we have Xcore now, and Xcore is teaching all kinds of, um, you know, liberal topics that don't fit into the normal curriculum. So why not place them in an interdisciplinary context within, um, you know, with, within the general education program, the, ex, the core curriculum? And expose students who are only biology majors, perhaps, would not be exposed to them in their classes. Even though in in classes like in the sciences, you can teach biodiversity. You can talk about organic um, growth versus um, you know all the, the 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 toxic things that are used to keep plants doing you know what they would like to do. The artificial um, generation of, of things like the chicken we, we heard a lot about you know what they placed into the chickens to to make them grow faster and sell faster again capitalism industrialization but they can learn these things and understand what kind of harm that brings to an environment and the health care issues the public health issues And if nothing has reinforced the fact that people need to be broadly engaged, they should recognize that COVID-19 has uncovered all of those things about our vulnerabilities and our reliability and, sorry, reliance on each other for strength and health and all of those things. So I think I might have talked too long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much of your perspective. Uh, I think you touched on a wide variety of disciplines, and uh, that's great because uh, you know, people might be listening from almost teaching almost any discipline. And I think uh, you touched on on how you might uh, approach teaching a just transition from really a, a wide variety of disciplines. Of, uh, disciplines. And and I hope it's sparked some interest uh, in our listeners. Somebody might have thought about doing that uh, or might be thinking about these issues. Uh, Hopefully it gives them the little nudge, the little encouragement that they might need to work that in to their teaching. So uh, thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Pamela Waldron-Moore, and uh, this has been another installment of teaching, learning, and everything else. We want to encourage our listeners if they uh, like what they hear, to uh, subscribe to us, to rate us and review us on uh, iTunes or whatever platform of, of, uh, that they get their podcast from. Thank you again. Uh, thank you, Pamela, for being with us. And uh, I, I really appreciate your time and perspective.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this installment of Teaching, Learning, and Everything Else. For more information, please visit our website at cat.zula.edu. That's cat.xula.edu. Until next time, keep on teaching, learning, and everything else.